Fertility Season 2. This morning, we are sitting down with Abby Porter. She will be sharing the ins and outs of her personal fertility journey. Welcome, Abby. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to share my journey. I have been following you guys from Season 1, and what you do for other women and advocating is incredible. So I'm happy to be a part of it. We're excited to have you on and I know we rescheduled, but it sounds like you've had some um, unexpected changes in your story. Yes, I absolutely have. It's been wild. This journey is just like keeps on going and it's just taking the punches and going with them. So yeah. So if you'll tell listeners and and myself as well, because I'm kind of in the dark, kind of your story and, and where this all began. Yeah, absolutely. So We will kind of go back to, I guess, like 2019. That seems so long ago now, but about um, in December of 2019, I decided to stop taking birth control. I had been on birth control for, oh my gosh, 10 years at that point. You know, they throw you on birth control when you go to your first GYN appointment. And mine was mainly due to my period, extremely heavy cycles, um, extremely painful cycles, and it was just really interfering with my life. So they popped me on birth control and said, okay, here's your fix. Have fun. Um, so at the time I was with my, um, partner, um, Patrick at the time, and he and I had been together. We were high school sweethearts. So we had been together for, I think nine years at that point. Um, and we decided that we were ready. I knew I wanted to be a mom. I always found myself wanting to be a mom probably before I had my big fairy tale wedding or anything like that. It was just something that was incredibly important to me. And I did always have something in the back of my head that said, I think this journey is going to take a little bit longer than you think. Um, and so I was like, you know what, let's just get off birth control. Let's just start trying. So we tried all of 2020 and I entered the research world. I tried to do so much research on ovulation strips and what's positive and all everything like that. And I just wasn't having any luck. I didn't think I was ovulating. Um, and you know, we weren't using any protection. So I was trying to time intercourse and things like that. And we just weren't having any luck. It was just negative after negative. And I really, you know, I said to some of my friends that are nurses and in physician's assistant school, I looked at them and I said, I don't think I'm ovulating. I just, and I never really got my cycle back after coming off birth control. So I was like, there's just no way my body's able to do this. And throughout that month in 2020, it actually really um, negatively affected my relationship. And I think it's so important to talk about um, because sometimes it doesn't work out like for the better. And so we were, I think, just growing more and more in part through that journey. I think I found myself way more into the process than he was. And I did find um, even in our earlier relationship that even when it was ready to take that next step, like buying a house together or something like that, I was always way more into that future and he just wasn't. And I was starting to realize that maybe this is kind of a gift in disguise that this isn't working out for us um, because I'm not sure our relationship's actually going to make it through this or in that next step. So we had to have very serious conversations. He's the only thing I had known for nine and a half years of my life. So after a year of, you know, I'll say trying to conceive very vaguely just because I do feel he was very tapped out of the process. I didn't have a lot of support from him. so. I decided that I think I want to take a step back from our relationship and really kind of focus on what is what it is I want 
you know, was I trying to force a pregnancy to make our relationship work? And then I just got so wrapped around in my head and, and obsessive that it just wasn't good for my mental health or my relationship. So I took a step back and um, in April of 2021, I actually moved out um, and we have been not together ever since. So it was a crazy journey of going through, let's try and have a baby. I don't think this is working, but I also don't think our relationship is working. So that like that in itself is you're so like when you're in infertility and you're trying to have the baby, you're, you, you identified it so quickly. You're like, this is what I want, but gosh, having to walk away from a nine-year relationship without infertility and without trying to conceive is absolutely it's like you're yes. walking away from both, right? Because now you're walking away from that partner. Exactly. And then you don't have anybody to try to conceive. I know. And then I said to myself, you know, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to start over um, because I was just so close to having the life that I wanted. But I found out that it was just, I was settling and I told myself that I was never going to settle. So I, you know, and I think even when I told my mother, um, she was like, I knew it. I mean, I knew you weren't going to marry him, but that's just me. And so- Oh. So I said, thanks mom, you know, right. thanks mom. So thanks for letting um, me hang in for nine years. <laughs> exactly. Nine and a half years. So it was a really, really huge transition. Um, but it ended up being a really good transition. And I thought that maybe at the time that was the end of my infertility journey, but it had just begun. So I think I had just listened to a podcast that you guys recorded where she talked about how she was like, you know, I knew I was infertile because I wasn't using any protection and uh, (laughs) that's kind of me. I knew I didn't want to go back onto birth control just because I had worked so hard to get my body adjusted to not being on birth control. So I, um, just kind of did my thing. And then still in the back of my head, like, well, you know, in 2020, I went one whole year with actively trying with no luck. So I must be infertile. I must not be able to have children. Um, and so, um, I, you know, was dating around and things in 2021. And, um, I started to realize that I had a little bit of bleeding during sexual intercourse, which was very unfamiliar to me. So after again, always blowing up my nursing friends phones and saying like, what do you think I should do? And they said, well, I think it's probably time. Like you go to the OBGYN, you know, you know, you're not really actively trying anymore, but you do have a history of one year of trying with no success. And you're having these really weird symptoms. Your cycles never came back. So I went to my OBGYN um, and she, you know, immediately tested me for everything, you know, every STD in the book, you know, pap smear, everything came back negative, everything looked normal. And then I did bring up to her and I said, you know, for the past you know, in 2020, I did try actively for a year. I didn't think that I ovulated. Um, you know, I just kind of want to know what's going on. And so, um, at the time this appointment, we like jumped to 2022 now. So, you know, after one whole year of 2020, not trying 2021, I kind of put it in the back of my head. It's just trying to get my life back together. Exactly. So in 2022, I finally decided, okay, let's address this because maybe I do need to be a single mom by choice. You know, maybe I do need to freeze my eggs. Maybe something is going on here where I really need to figure out what I want. Cause I need to be a mom. I knew that. So I, um, she tested me for prolactin. Um, cause she just wanted to see, you know, and thyroid, the first two, like go-to tests of let's see if something's going on with your thyroid. Let's see if your prolactin levels are higher. That would indicate, you know, PCOS right off the bat. 
Um, and at the time I had just started seeing um, my now boyfriend, Michael at the time. And um, I knew from our first date that he was, I was going to be with him the rest of my life. It was like a night and day relationship. And I didn't think that you could know someone so quickly in a short amount of time better than someone you lived with for nine and a half Aww. years. And that was my entire life. So and I was just very upfront with him from the start. Like, you know, I want to be a mom. Here's my story. There it is. I love and that. He was just very, just open to everything. So um, after everything came back negative, I got a phone call and she said, oh, your prolactin levels are high. This falls in line with, you know, maybe you have PCOS. I said, okay, that's great. She said, but do me a favor. Can you take a pregnancy test? And I was like, Okay. I mean, sure. I'm not pregnant. And I took it and it was positive. Oh my gosh. So that was my first positive pregnancy test ever in March of 2022. Um, and it was with Michael. I think it was our second date. (laughs) (laughs) I just couldn't believe it was so serendipitous to me that I had tried for so long with someone. And then all of a sudden I had a positive pregnancy test with this guy who I had only known for a couple of weeks, but I knew that I was going to marry him because he's amazing and incredible. Um, and I just, I was shocked, but I didn't think I was pregnant because I was actively bleeding at the time. So in my head, I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> what that's, is going the wor- on? that's the worst feeling. It's You're the like- worst because I thought I had an answer with the high prolactin level. Um, but that actually had nothing to do with at the time PSOS. It was because I was pregnant. So that's so, what I was going to ask you. Cause I want, yes. you, I actually don't think we've even talked about prolactin on the podcast ever. Yes. Um, so is that what kind of like pinged her? Like, Ooh, this is really, really high. She could be pregnant. Yes. It was high off the chart. Um, and that's when she said it was a little bit too high for PCOS. And then that's when she asked me to take a pregnancy test. And when I did, it was like blaring positive. So I was like, Oh, so that's why my prolactin levels are high. So that was very, it was very interesting because it all happened so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, you know, I was so unfamiliar to the positive pregnancy world because I've never had one. So I, you know, I said, well, I'm bleeding. It feels like a miscarriage to me. I said, you know, I, I've done my research. It just feels like it. I don't feel very pregnant. Um, and then she said, well, let's do a beta. And then I entered oh, into no. I call it beta hell. I know. <laughs> no, I was going to say you've been terrible. Oh, my been inaugurated so, to beta hell. Uh, and if I only knew at the time all the betas I would be getting in my life, I just, oh my gosh. So I um, got a good level. It was like 150 or something. And she was like, oh, that's actually great. That actually lines yeah. up exactly where I thought. And she goes, you know, some women just bleed during their first trimester. And I said, well, this is like a lot of blood. I just really don't feel that something's right here. Um, and then I remember going in for my second data and it felt like I had almost like peed myself. And it was just a huge gosh. Um, So I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure everything just happened in the parking lot of the clinic. But, um, and then sure enough, my beta had only gone up one, like one or two numbers, and then it dropped immediately back down. So they ruled it to be a chemical pregnancy. And I think like when I went in for my follow-up, I was just so many emotions because I realized then again, you know, oh man. So it took me basically you can say two years to even get a positive pregnancy test. And when I did, it's a chemical pregnancy. 
I feel like this journey is going to be a really, really long and hard journey. So it was definitely really interesting because I had to have a conversation with the guy that I had known for a month and saying like, I think I'm going to have a hard time getting pregnant. I'm sure when you went on our first date, you never thought that this is something that you'd be talking about. And his just openness, openness to the journey was incredible. I have so many, you know, I mean, that is just just, so layered. I guess the first thing is I'm so sorry for your loss like that. That's so difficult. And it Mm -hmm. sounds like you had a phenomenal partner during it. I did. Oh my gosh. You need that support. But to your point, you've told this guy you just met, we're pregnant. Right. And then days later, you're like, okay, now you need to support me through a miscarriage. And he probably was going through a million things in his So many emotions. So like so many emotions. And I just remember this specific moment with him because it was right around my birthday. So, and I was living with my best friend at the time. So she knew what was going on. And um, she was like, it's okay. Like, well, you know, it's okay. Like, let's just go get, you know, some food or for your birthday. Like, it's okay. Be happy. And I remember he, my, one of my favorite country songs was playing in the kitchen and he just took my hand and he just started dancing with me. This was like five minutes after we found out that clearly this pregnancy wasn't viable. Um, and I just will forever remember that moment. And it just, it's so crazy to me that I just, I tried for so long with someone And then within knowing this man for a month, got my first positive pregnancy test. And so I tried to take all of those positive and just everything happens for a reason. And this is a sign like that. This is who you're supposed to be with. This is the start of your journey. And it was kind of the world showing me like, this is the guy that's going to support you through this whole entire thing. And he showed it too. I mean, his reaction was phenomenal. Did he share, I mean, I know you guys, this is just the beginning of your story at that time. Did he share any of his emotions or he was just really like, look, I support you. He absolutely did. He was so good about sharing what he was angry about one, you know, um, things that I probably could have communicated better or cause I was just so caught up in my emotions. And I think it's so interesting to hear a guy's perspective on miscarriage and infertility because we're going through it. So we're like, oh, it, we're going through this, you know, like we have it, but he had a lot of emotions. I mean, he was told me he was scared. He was angry, but he was sad. You know, he had gotten to a point where he could maybe see himself be a dad, you know, right now. So it was just, and he explained all of that to me. And it was so great to be able to understand his feelings so that I could better support him like he was supporting me. Yeah. And so, you guys, and the only reason I'm going to so say this is because you noted it in your notes, but you guys are in your twenties, right? Like 20. I just turned 28. Yeah. yeah 28. So so, and he's 29. So he's about a year older. Mm-hmm. That's right. At the time where like what you said, he's like, I could see myself being a dad. It's like that, exactly. that flip of a that switch, switch. Mm-hmm. where like in the next 24 hours from finding out that you could be parents, you like rearrange your right. whole life your whole entire life. Your and whole that's why life. I think chemical pregnancies are so difficult because yes. they don't just last an hour. I mean, they can last a week, two weeks, even they three can. weeks. And so you're already in this whole mindset. Okay. Absolutely. So you guys handled that really, really well. Yes, we handled it really well. Um, they wanted to obviously monitor, you know, watch my betas go back down. Um, and then him and I, you know, both agree that we weren't I was not going to go on any type of protection. I really didn't want any hormonal birth control. 
Um, and then I did want to follow up with my OBGYN um, just to maybe get more testing and find out what's going on. Um, because, and I know she said, well, you know, and I hate that they say this, but they said, well, you haven't had two losses yet. So we can't do reoccurrent loss testing. And in my head, that is just so sad that you sit there and say, well, you need to have one more miscarriage and then we can talk about testing. I know. And I, oh, I wonder, I mean, I was going to say, I wonder if it's changed because that was how it was for me. And yes. Gosh, so, it feels, but I mean, that this was just last year. So probably not. Correct. It was just last year. So that is definitely my clinic was still very much two or three miscarriages and then we'll do reoccurrent loss. But what I kind of pushed is, um, because I am in the medical field, I'm on the laboratory side of things, which is really interesting because I do all of the testing oh, in the wow. lab. So that was a really cool to, ability to be able to see, well, I know all the testing that you guys do yeah. and what the test results mean because I'm a laboratory manager. So oh, people are going to find your Instagram at the end of this and like start. start yes, exactly. I already, yes, mean? that is, that's already happened sometimes. They're like, oh, so this test, this, I'm like, yep, we do all that testing. I know exactly what it means. So, so I kind of push high pro, prolactin mean? Like if someone were to get that result. So it actually does mean, and it is very indicative of PCOS. They said that it kind of goes hand in hand with thyroid. So another signal that maybe it wasn't PCOS prolactin is that my thyroid level was fine, but my prolactin level was high. Usually they're both elevated, um, but your body is because your hormones are completely out of whack. PCOS, sometimes you're in a constant state of thinking you're pregnant or needing to produce all of these hormones to support a pregnancy. So your prolactin levels stay elevated. Okay. That was yeah, a really so, good explanation. Yeah. So that is, it was very interesting to me. So, and I kept diving into the research world. So I feel like I could write a whole textbook on infertility now as much research as I've done, right. but, you know, it can be my, my own textbook, my own research. But so I kind of pushed my OBGYN. Well, I want to more focus, more focus on my cycle irregular. If you know, if you're not going to test me for reoccurrent loss, I, I want to figure out why one, I never got a regular cycle back after coming off birth control. So this had been, you know, two years now, and I had not had a regular cycle. Um, and then I wanted to know, you know, why, if I did get a cycle, it was like one or two days. Barely I was gonna ask you, yeah. So right. like, you say not regular, like not like the 28 days or not like exactly. the So it was just, sometimes it would randomly come. And if I did, it would be one to two days of spotting. So I felt like my body need like needed a period I've never felt that sensation of saying like oh my gosh I think my body like needs to have a cycle yeah and not getting an active period for two years I mean yeah. it just felt like my body hated me I mean I had um and I started getting a lot more symptoms of PCOS at this time um so you know I wasn't getting a period I had the rapid weight gain which was very unfamiliar for me because I'm a dairy-free girl. I've done whole 30. I'm an avid runner. I exercise a lot. So I gained, I think probably about like 30 to 40 pounds in two years. And it oh. was very hard for me because I was one did not like myself. Um, so I was like, what is going on? I, you know, I'm not, I haven't really changed my diet or anything like that. Um, I was so bloated to where I looked six months pregnant, but wasn't pregnant. Um, so I just started having all of these PCOS symptoms. So I just pushed my OBGYN and I said, reoccurrent loss, we can wait on that. Fine. But please like, can we please start testing me for PCOS? And 
she, I have to applaud her because she was a physician's assistant gynecologist. And she realized that this was a little bit out of her wheelhouse. So she referred me to another OBGYN within the clinic. And I just really applaud her for that, for just being like, you know what? I don't really think this is my field. I'm a little unfamiliar with PCOS. I think you should go see more of a hormonal specialist. Um, and so I thank her for that because she sent me to another doctor within the same clinic, which is really nice. Um, and then she finally did all of the PCOS testing. And okay, I tell think, us what that is. Cause I don't yeah, know. So I did, we, she did thyroid again, but a more in-depth thyroid panel. So free T4, free T3, TSH. She did prolactin levels again. She did a hemoglobin A1C um, just because women with PCOS are heightened for diabetes. And if you have a high hemoglobin A1C, then that kind of signals you may have insulin resistant PCOS. So um, then that led her to do a complete metabolic panel to check my sugar levels, see how they were going. Um, And then she also wanted to do, you know, FSH, LH, all of those um, hormonal. And what she found is that everything was completely normal. (laughs) Really? My hemoglobin A1C was a little bit elevated that she thinks I may have a little bit of insulin resistant PCOS, which is the most common form of PCOS in women, but everything else was fine. My thyroid panel came back pristine. My glucose levels were well within normal range. Um, and the one thing she did find was then I'm sure you're familiar up is when they do the hormone testing at different stages of your cycle. And now she had to actually induce my cycle with Provera yeah. um, because I wasn't getting one. And she said, well, we need to figure out your hormone levels at different stages of your cycle. So let's make you get a period. So and is I that- didn't think I'd- yeah. Yes. So I want to dive into it because you're so educated. I work in healthcare too, <laughs> yeah. and I can just hear you talking. I'm like, she totally is in the lab. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes. So, you can definitely tell I'm a lab nerd. Yeah. yeah I love it. So um, just for listeners, so they typically test on day three, right? That's like Correct. the first yep. and they cycle get day those, three. those levels. And maybe you can tell us why, but like then the second test is that day 21. That is day 21 to 23. So whenever you can get in there to 21 to 23, they don't want it any later than cycle day 23. And that's because you're at a different phase in your cycle. But if you have PCOS, obviously that's not day 21 or 23 isn't exactly going to be. Correct. Yes. It it is very tricky. And I do understand when they say, you know, it's so hard to diagnose PCOS. And I think it is because of that. It's so hard to get an exact day in the luteal phase or the follicular phase because your phases are crazy with yeah. PCOS. So it's really hard to determine, you know, whether or not you have it via testing, which is why I think they do it mainly symptom wise. You know, if you have five symptoms, you know, such as weight gain, bloating, irregular cycles, you know, hair growth, then they'll kind of throw you in the PCOS category without maybe having that specific diagnosis of PCOS. Okay. Um, so they did my day three testing for, they really wanted to focus on FSH and LH um, because those should be kind of rising at that point um, and then getting ready for you to ovulate. Okay. Um, and then she also did tell me to continuously take my basal body temperature um, during that time. So I did do that. Um, and I did relay that information to her because she really wanted to, see that rise in temperature because something he told me is really interesting is that sometimes even with the LH strips, you know, your LH is supposed to be rising and rising and rising until you get 
a dark test strip that's sometimes even darker than your control strip. And you're going to ovulate within the next 24 to 48 hours. But she said that sometimes you can even get that peak. But if you don't have that rise in temperature, your body's not going to release an egg that your body actually, yes, it's more reliable to go off basal body temperature than it is the LH strips, which I thought was extremely interesting. It is. Now that was the one thing I never did because it's so hard because you have to take it before you get out of bed. Right. Yes. Or you should. Yes, you should. So what I did, um, and actually one of my really good friends, Sarah, she also listens to you guys and she does women's health and hormones. That's kind of her specialty. She told me about an aura ring. Um, I was going to ask you, I said, do you have, like, I was going to say, do you know I got the aura ring? Yes. I'm wearing it right now. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. It is amazing. Do they have that for It takes your basal body temperature every morning. So you don't have to do it. And it syncs directly to the natural cycles app. Oh my gosh. And so it just automatically shoots your temperature there. Okay. I'm writing this down. Aura ring. Yes, absolutely write it down. What was the app? Is the app like related to aura or it's a totally different. So you have to have the aura ring app, but then also the natural cycles app. And then it automatically takes your temperature every morning. And then you get, and just shoots it directly to the app and it will let you know like what phase of cycle you're in based off your basal body temperature. Oh, you don't even have to interpret it. It just tells you. You don't have to interpret it. It's amazing. Oh, that's so neat. It's incredible. So I started doing that and it was extremely helpful because I was like, I don't like, I always forgot to take my, it was terrible. I would even put it in my nightstand and just completely forget to do it in the morning. I never did it one time because it was just, sometimes there's like all the things. And then sometimes it's just way too overwhelming where it's going to cause more stress. So that is like the most user-friendly exactly little trick hack. Okay. So where were we at? I already forgot. Sorry. I signed. Okay. So we were, oh, so the PCOS testing that my OBGYN was doing. So she did the cycle day three testing and everything actually looked normal. I had a good, you know, normal range of LH. Um, and then my FSH was okay. So it, it definitely seemed like my body was, you know, stimulating follicles. It was doing what it's supposed to do. And then we got to cycle day 21 testing and my levels just tanked. They Oh, I just, your audio just cut out. Can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear so, me now? Yes. I'll edit it out. Cause that was perfect. The last word I heard you say was tank. Yes. Tank. Perfect. Okay. Yes. So my levels on cycle day 23 just tanked. They were just terrible. Um, and she 100% could tell that I did not ovulate. Um, at any point in time, did they do a, um, internal ultrasound and like, look at your follicles? They did, but they did not do it until a couple months after the PCOS diagnosis. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I was wondering that too, when she originally told me, I said, well, would you want to do, you know, the internal ultrasound to see like, do I have follicles at all? I mean, you know, does it look like I'm going to have some eggs? And she just said that she just wanted to strictly do it off the hormonal testing at first. And that sure enough, that she could tell by my progesterone and my LH that I just did not ovulate. Okay. Yeah. So my progesterone was supposed to be going up after you ovulate. And unfortunately mine was like zero, just complete. Yes. No progesterone at all. Yeah. Wow. And going back to Provera, sorry, I keep jumping around, but Provera is progesterone, right? It is. Yeah. So it's to give you a ton and ton and ton of progesterone and then just stop 
and it induces your period. You know, that's so interesting. I never understood infertility when they give you the progesterone to take, like, especially like for people that have gone through recurrent loss, they tell you to take it after you three days after you ovulate, ovulate. Exactly. And I was always doing all this research. Like, how is this different from Provera? Because I don't know how it is, but they're totally different. They're totally different. And I think too, I still, that is probably the one thing that I'm like, I'm just going to do what I'm told there because I still don't understand how that works at all. Yeah. Right. So, but that's when, um, she finally said, okay, I think I can confidently say that you have PCOS and you do not ovulate. Um, she said that she probably thinks that I ovulate two to four times a year. If I'm lucky and that I was definitely going to need medicated cycles to be able to ovulate. Okay. So, okay. So (laughs) I have so many questions. Hold on. What was I going to say? Crazy. (laughs) So let me ask you this. They may have not said this, but it sounds like you would have researched it. So if our chemical pregnancy is a little bit more common for women that have PCOS because the progesterone has already either dipped or it wasn't high enough to sustain that pregnancy. Absolutely. Yes. So they think that um, my chemical pregnancy uh, definitely maybe needed progesterone. And of course, there's no way to tell, you know, well, if we would have given her the progesterone from the start, would it have worked? We're not sure, especially because it things are so irregular with PCOS. Sometimes they did my cycle testing and my progesterone was fine. And then other times it wasn't. If so, it's really just like a roller coaster and it's like, PCOS is 100% a roller coaster. Yes. I, so, I think it'd be so difficult to try to conceive with PCOS because you're not even guaranteed is. every month I can try. Exactly. And that's the thing. So I told her after that, that I was really just going to focus on trying to go more geared towards diet. Um, there's been a lot of research and success on diet, being able to, you know, not completely reverse PCOS, but definitely help lower the chance of PCOS affecting fertility, um, and kind of regulating your hormones. So I focused a lot on diet, um, and tried to go that way. And then really just testing each month myself just to see if I did ovulate. Um, and then that's when I kind of advocated for that, that ultrasound, um, the intervaginal ultrasound to confirm ovulation via that way. And I've done it twice, which is crazy. I did it once in 2022 where I did not ovulate. They found no sign that I had ovulated that month. And then one of the months they did it, I had multiple stimulated follicles and I ovulated. Wow. So, and of course me and my brain, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, what supplement did I take different this month than this month? And so it was just going back and forth with the doctors of, you know, trying to figure out how to fix the PCOS. And then finally in about October of 2022, she said, well, you want to just try Clomid. And I was like, so I looked at my goal and I explained what, you know, Clomid was. And, um, I said, you know what, let's try it. Like, let's see if it works. Like, let's see if it lets me ovulate because, There was multiple cycles in a row they were checking and I was not ovulating about three cycles in a row. I hadn't had a period in about three months at this point. So they said, you know, let's induce with Provera. 
let's just try Clomid. Let's, okay, let's quick, quick question. So yes. when did you have your first miscarriage? What month? So I had my first miscarriage in March of 2022. Okay, so Michael's so, along for the ride because you're now oh, like- yeah. He's along like, for the ride. Yeah, he's here. He's here. Spoiler alert, he is very much in my life. Yes, very much in my life. How was that year different than when you were with Patrick in terms of you were still trying and wrapped up in it? It was- incredibly different. I couldn't believe that I had been with someone that knew me like since I was 16 years old and didn't support me in any way, shape or form to now be with someone who had only known me a month before we had our first miscarriage together and be able to support me going to all of these doctors to try to figure out what was wrong with me and know that an end goal was to get pregnant. Wow. And, and I've seen your Instagram incredible. and not that it's weird, but he's so cute. Oh, he is a Yeah. He's, I knew I saw him and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so attracted to him. He's it's not, not like, the right <laughs> word, but I'm trying to be respectful. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. Yeah. He is just so handsome in every way. That's a better word. <laughs> yeah. He, his personality is incredible, but, and uh-huh. you know, he was, and it's too, like, sometimes you, you don't even want to like, go to the bathroom in front of your, someone you just started dating. And I was, you know, actively bleeding all over the floor, you know? So it was, we got to know each other really well, really fast. And he was just nothing but supportive. I mean, he asked me updates on the doctor's appointment. He did his own research. He'd come home with being like, so I looked this up online about the test. That that is key. That is like my number one thing is if your spouse is going to do their own. Oh my gosh. That's all. Yes. He was like incredible. And he still is to this day. I mean, he, you know, he just helped me like shower post-surgery, you know, so he's incredible. I know I keep interrupting you. Okay. Let's get, you're fine. No, you're fine. No, I love it. Okay. We're now, I was just wondering how much time had passed. Okay. We're in October. You're going to do the Clomid. You and Michael, we're going to do the Clomid. We spent the entire summer, me just doing diet changes, doing all the hormonal testing, really getting the like confirmed PCOS diagnosis, realizing that, okay, you don't ovulate. So that's going to be a problem if you want to have a baby. So we did the Clomid and I remember getting my peak, like on my strip, I'm like, okay, I think I'm going to ovulate. And I just kind of looked at Michael, like, do we try or do we, do we just want to use this to see if I ovulate? That like, was what, what I was going to ask. I was like, is this just yeah. for you? Or are you guys going to use this? Cause you spent the money on the Clomid. You're kind of like, right. so we spent the money on the Clomid and I saw that it had worked. And I was like, do we want to do it? Like, I mean, just kind of looked at each other and we were like, okay, let's just do it. Like, let's just do it. So we did baby dancing for a little bit. And then I got my first positive pregnancy test about two days before Halloween, October 28th. I knew that I was pregnant. I mean, I could tell I didn't get any symptoms by chemical pregnancy because it all happened so fast, but I mean, my boobs were huge. I mean, Michael looked at me and he was like, I know you don't have big boobs like that. (laughs) Something's going on. And they hurt so bad. And my vivid dreams. Oh my gosh. My dreams were. That was one of my, that was actually my sign every time. And I've been pregnant seven times. I was going to say, you've been pregnant so many times. A lot. Every single time vivid dream. And I would, I'd be like, I got to go yes. take a pregnancy test. I know yes. the vivid dreams were, I felt like I was actually living yeah. in the moment. It was wild. I've never had dreams like that before. Right. And so, oh my gosh, it was crazy. So after I like saw those symptoms, I was like, I think I'm going to take a test. And sure enough, I got, I think I was only eight DPO two. 
And I took it and I saw the faintest line and I'm just staring at it. Of course, sending it to all of my friends on the phone. And then <laughs> when you take the on your phone, I know I'm like, you can't, I'm like, you can't see anything. They're like, no, when you, right. When you take the picture, it's even lighter than in person. You're like, I promise guys, it's a little yes. bit darker. That's why I said, I was like, I swear there's a line there. And so, and then he, Michael had actually already been at work. So I called him and I was like, I'm pregnant. And he was like, what? And I was like, yeah, like I think I'm pregnant. So it was just so wild. And then, um, it was just so many emotions. I called my OBGYN knew that all the betas were coming. So I was so nervous. So I went and got my first beta and they only did, I will never forget. Cause it still scared me to this day. They only say. did qualitative and yes. not quantitative. Where it says yes so it, or no. And you're just it like, came back no. negative. Oh, wait, really? And I was like, and at this point too, it had been a couple days. So it was like 12 DPO at this point. So I had already gotten my first like positive digital and it was like significantly getting darker. So I was like, what? Like, oh my God. Like, yeah. I guess I just had another chemical pregnancy. Like I was so confused. And then sure enough, that's when the nurse called me and she was like, so we did a um qualitative not quantitative so we need you to come back and yeah, I was that's like the worst because uh, that's just for listeners because that's happened to me before too and I'm yes. like why mm-hmm. do they even have this they it just basically says positive or negative and correct it just says positive or negative and it's actually a fun fact it's up to 25 that will be negative that it will be negative anything under 25 for a beta is considered negative. So I think mine was like 21 or 23 because I actually called the lab to see what my value was because I said, I want to know what my value is because it was, I think it was like 21 or 23. Oh my God. So pregnant, but according to the qualitative test, no, (laughs) no, I couldn't. Yes. I couldn't believe it. And I, I did ask, you know, why, labs still do qualitative testing. And they said it's mainly for people that are tracking their betas to lower that when you're considered under 25, you're considered, it's not a viable pregnancy anymore. So it's a way for them to say, okay, in our world, you're not pregnant anymore. That makes sense. So I understood that, but I was like, you're, you've got to be kidding me. So in my head, I knew that I was at 21 or 23. So I knew within the next 48 to 78 hours, I needed to double from that number. So it went up to like 94 and 93. And I was like, yes, like, this is amazing. I got it one more time. It went all the way up to like 250, 300. And I just remember like giving Michael the phone and being like, just tell me, like, just tell me what the, the number is. And he told me and I just started like crying because I was like, oh my God, it's doubling and it's working. And then I started bleeding. Oh, I'm so yeah. sorry. Yeah. So then I started bleeding. And of course, coming as I'm sure you're aware, even just going to the bathroom after you're pregnant with loss and just checking to see if you're bleeding. I mean, I was obsessing. I wouldn't even have to go to the bathroom, but I would just want to check to make sure that I wasn't bleeding. And yeah. so I remember when I was doing like one of my checks and I saw the blood and the spotting, I was like, no, 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 this isn't happening. This isn't happening. And of course I told Michael and I'm crying and he's like laying in bed with me. He goes, no, this means nothing. Remember like first trimester, you can have bleeding. Your betas look great. So I said, okay, well, I'm, I want to go into the doctor. I want her to tell me my cervix is closed and I want her to like redo my beta again. 
And at this point it had been a week since my last beta because they did three of them. And then once yeah. they were doubling, they were like, you're good to go. And I was yeah. like, okay. Yeah. Um, so I did go back to the OBGYN and she was like, well, your cervix is very closed. They did another beta. It was in like the 2000s or 3000s. So they were like, this looks great for where you're at. I think you can now have an ultrasound if you wanted an early ultrasound because that's where your levels are at. I said, oh yeah, I want the ultrasound. So they got me in right then and there. And they were able to find the yolk sack. Um, So everything looked great. And I was like, okay, so maybe it's just some spotting, you know, everything's going, you know, everything's okay. But the bleeding just kept continuing. It wasn't bad. And it was more like that brown color. And I was just, you know, researching and researching and researching and driving myself crazy. And, um, you know, you have, uh, they were like, well, you're about five weeks. So we'd really want you to wait. And so we can see more of the baby. Cause we know we saw the yolk sac, we mm-hmm. saw the fetal sac, but that's kind of like all we can see right now. And there's, yeah. Um, and even if they were to cut, bring you in there, like to your point, they can't, they really can't do anything in that first eight weeks. No, they can't. And so of course I did what I wish I never had did, which was buy all of the gifts for my mom and my grandparents saying that I was pregnant. And I was so excited because it was going to be right around Christmas. So we were going to do the Christmas thing. And oh man, I did it all. And we even Michael too. So actually fun fact, sports betting had just gone live in Maryland. And so Michael had bet on a football game and won like $3,000 and surprised me with like my dream stroller that I had wanted. Yes. Oh my gosh, girl. I have chills. Yeah. First so all, he this did that. guy is a gym. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah. He's incredible. I hit the jackpot. I really did. I hit yeah. the jackpot. So we were just so excited. And Michael was getting really excited. I remember we'd be with his family and he'd be like, should we just tell him? Should we just tell him? And I was like, I don't know. Should we tell him? So um, after like the bleeding was still happening, I finally got in for my ultrasound and I heard the heartbeat for the first time. And I just remember being like, I never thought that would happen for me. And so I was like, oh my gosh, there's a heartbeat. There's a baby. And so we were actually going to my friend's Friendsgiving and I just really wanted to tell someone I like knew I really wanted to wait till Christmas to tell like my parents and my siblings. But I was like, I looked at Michael, I was like, can we tell my friends? Like, I just really want to tell someone this sure. is great news. I want to share. This is amazing. And um, so, you know, we did the whole group photo thing where Michael said, you know, on three, Abby's pregnant. And then they were like, Abby's pregnant. And then they all looked at me and they're like, what? And these women were all there for me when I had my chemical pregnancy and they've known how much I like wanted to have a baby and be a mom. And it was just such an incredible like experience to be able to share that like good news with them at that time. And they were just so happy. And then everything else went great. The bleeding actually slowed down. It stopped. I felt very pregnant. Um, And then I went in for a normal nine week ultrasound and there was no heartbeat. I'm so sorry. So I was just, I remember, and I knew something was wrong because, you know, the ultrasound tech turned the screen for me and I was like, I haven't heard the baby's heartbeat yet. And they were like, well, we're just having a hard time finding it. And I was like, okay. And then I remember looking at Michael's face. Cause like he could still see the screen and he's just looking at me and it just, everything wiped from his face. And I knew, I was like, I, I knew, 
I knew it. And then I was like, well, you know, they usually give us pictures after. And they were like, yeah, the printer's broken. Um, and then they, they were like, we the, yeah, because they can't tell you. Your story, for some right. reason, like has aligned so much with mine. I just am really, yeah, oh, I, we've had yes. all the same experiences. And yes, it was, I knew they made us sit there after because they were like, you know, I just want to make sure your doctor like has your case, you know, that they're willing. And I'm like, okay, so they're calling my OBGYN right now yeah. to tell them that there's no heartbeat. So and I just knew, and I think I was just so just stunned that I just had no emotion. Yep. I was just sitting in the car yep. and people was trying to talk to me and I just, I had no emotion. Yeah. I was just completely broken. I mean, it was going from, you know, oh, the bleeding has nothing to do with anything. And even to this day, they actually think it was normal first trimester bleeding. They actually sure. think I had no idea. Um, because even when I went in for a checkup after that, my body was not recognizing that I had a miscarriage. I think I had, I think the baby measured like eight weeks and six days. So it had just passed like before my nine week ultrasound. So, so sorry. they called it a missed miscarriage because they were, you know, I didn't really have any yeah. signs or symptoms. And then they asked me what I wanted to do. And I just remember this all happening the same day. And I'm like, what do you mean what I want to do? Yeah. Like, I was yeah. like, what do you mean? They're like, well, do you want to pass the baby at home or do you want to come in? I said, I'm not doing it at home. I was like, I can't do it at home. I can't do it. Um, and so I said, I want the DNC and I want genetic testing done. And they were like, okay, we can do that. We'll submit it. We'll see if your insurance, I said, I don't care if my insurance proves it. I want the genetic testing done. I want to know. I was like, because I was like, now this is my second loss. And within the same month or the same year. Yeah. So um, I want the genetic testing. Done. Cause it gives so, you a little, not peace of mind, but it gives you like, okay, was this an egg sperm problem? Or was this like a right. anatomical problem? Exactly. And knowing now we had known about the PCOS and everything like that. You know, I said, I just really, I want to know, and being in the medical and science field, I'm very much results and answers and scientific explanation. So I knew that I needed for me to be able to move on. I needed this. So we scheduled the DNC. She was actually able to get me in a couple of days later. Um, so of course I remember just saying, and at the time my mom had not known, I actually was like scheduled to have lunch with her on Saturday to tell her that day. So I remember just calling her and I feel so bad for her at the time. Cause I just called her and I said, I'm pregnant, but I lost the baby. And I was just crying. I've done <laughs> like, what? She was just so shocked. She was like, what are you talking about? And like, yeah, so she, but I had the biggest support system ever. I mean, Michael was incredible. He took off work. You know, he took me to the DNC and I will say that I will be such an advocate for going under anesthesia for a DNC because I did not. And it was the most terrible and horrific experience of my entire life. Oh my God. It was terrible. So they don't put you under, I'm in Maryland. So they don't put you under anesthesia. They just heavily sedate you. But I kept telling them that I was not sedated enough because I knew every single thing that was going on. I could hear every conversation they were having. I felt everything. And even I remember like coming out of the procedure and just sitting there because they made me wait like an hour to, you know, not be heavily sedated anymore. Just hearing the nurses talk about like what bar they were going to this weekend to like hang out at. And I'm sitting there like, that's so awful. It was terrible. Is that, 
I mean, I don't know. I, I just started listening to like that, the retrieval mm-hmm. podcast. Have you even, yes. heard and so like, I, I know, have, yeah. and, and I know certain States, they do like, like uh twilight anesthesia versus like just fully you're knocked out. Was it even yes. a choice or that was just what they do? It was not a choice. I remember being in the pre-op and they were asking me all these questions and they were like, okay, so you're a candidate for being mildly sedated. And I said, mildly sedated. I said, Nobody. I want to go under. Yeah. I was like, I don't want to be awake for this. And they said, oh, that's actually not an option we do with this procedure. I just, was it in the, cl- was it in the, so it was in an outpatient clinic. That's what's going to ask. So, that's why yeah, so it was in an outpatient clinic. I saw my doctor. She came up to me, you know, we were talking. She was like, so supportive. I still, I absolutely love her to death. And I just remember then her being like, okay, you know, so they did tell you you're only mildly sedated. Right. And I just, I was yeah. like, wait, what? And you like, can't I do anything because you're already there. And it's so interesting. I'm there. This is yeah. happening. And I'm like, okay, I guess this, I just have to. to have do you this. seen Little yeah. Fires Everywhere? Have you seen? I have that? not. Okay. No. So in that, she has um, a DNC and she's also mildly sedated. And I just feel like the media always portrays it that way. I was completely not. Yeah. Like, I like to. Five yeah. seconds went by and I woke up in recovery. And you woke up and everything was over. Yeah. Yeah. It was terrible. I, yeah, I heard everything. I remember everything. It was a nightmare. It felt like I was literally in a horror movie. Like that's exactly how it felt with. And I, I told myself that I will go to a different state yeah. to the next time. If I have to have another DNC, I will never like not be completely knocked out because it was terrible. <sighs> that's it was terrible. tough. So I spent, you know, we came home from that and we were recovering. And of course it was right around Christmas. It was just, it was terrible. So I was recovering from that and it didn't take a huge toll just on me mentally. I was, I mean, luckily I had a great support system at work. So they gave me off as much time as I needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just sitting by my phone waiting for my genetic results. Yeah. And since that was my second loss, I was able to get the reoccurrent loss panel so got checked for lupus and any coagulation disorder or blood clot disorder. Everything came back perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, great. Um, and then the genetic testing came back that it was male triploidy. Oh, so wow. completely not compatible with life. And I remember listening to the podcast you guys had of the woman who had two triploidy pregnancies. And they did say that even getting to a point of a heartbeat with a triploidy pregnancy is extremely rare. And it was from the maternal side. So it had, they were able to tell that it was my genes that gave the extra set of chromosomes. And so it was not Michael's side. Um, So then they did genetic testing on me and my karyotype was completely fine. So they said it was a fluke that it just was just bad luck. That's what they called it. Bad luck. No, I know. Yeah. yeah, Our stories are just so weirdly similar. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. So it was just bad luck. So, um, you know, I, I took that as, okay, I have an answer. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and at that point I knew that Michael and I weren't going to try again for a good bit. Um, it was just so much too much too much highs and then lows. And then I knew that I needed to figure out what was going on with myself because after my DNC, I never got my cycle back again. Um, so then I got a HSG, which I was also awake for. And I had no idea that that's what it entailed. So I went by myself, drove myself, and it was just basically reliving 
my DNC. I was going to say that's just trauma. Very it similar. It was so much trauma. It had only been about, I think I got that three months. They made me wait three months after yeah. my DNC. So this was um, just recently, March. It was like just like March of 2000. Yeah. So it was just recently, February, March of this year. Um, and they found several pelvic adhesions um, from my HSG, which they said, we think it's from your DNC probably. We need to remove the adhesions. You definitely won't get pregnant with these adhesions. They need to come out. Did you so, listen to our Ashramers syndrome podcast? I did. Yes, I did. Interesting. Yes, very interesting. So all this was happening so quickly because I went from in December having the DNC and then I waited in January. I was healing. I actually flew to Florida to see my best friend because I just like wanted to get away to in February getting, you know, the HSG, which was reliving the DNC. And it was extremely painful. And I think I broke the x-rays technician's hand because it was just so painful um, to them finding all of the adhesions. Um, They said, you know, this could have, you know, interfered with the genetic, you know, when things were getting together genetically. So we don't know if you had the adhesions before your DNC or after, but they have to be removed. Yeah. I said, okay. So then scheduled a hysteroscopy in April, um, got all of the pelvic adhesions removed, got to know what a balloon catheter was and oh my gosh, and it, oh my God, it was terrible. I was like, what is I this have, life I'm living right now? Yeah. I haven't had to do that, but I know a lot of friends have, and that's just yes. like more, like a more advanced or, well, that's actually because you had something removed. That's right. Yes. I had to have it removed and they said it helps with, um, not having the adhesions reform. Yeah. yeah. They don't, so, like reattach to each other. Exactly. Cause yeah. they were like, you don't want to do this. And then all the adhesions like reform. So I had that back in April, they removed all the adhesions and they were really successful. Um, but then again, I still didn't get my period back. (laughs) I just still wasn't having a cycle. I still wasn't ovulating. I was, you know, doing diet changes. I wasn't losing any weight. If anything, I was still gaining weight. I was still significantly bloated, extremely uncomfortable. I mean, I, and then I just kept researching and everything was pointing to endometriosis. And I said, you know, I think I want to go back in for another procedure. And Michael looked at me and he was like, whatever you want to do to make sure that we can have a baby in the future, I'll support you 110%. So I went to my OBGYN. I said, I meet every single symptom for endometriosis. I'm in pain all the time. I don't have a period. I mean, even when I was just like having a bowel movement, it was extremely painful for me. Um, especially around my cycle when I I was supposed to get my cycle. Isn't that wild how you had to tell them that? Like I've told them so many times and I've always bounced around the world word endometriosis in my journey because it had been almost three years now of trying to figure out what is going on with me? Why am I having all these problems? I'm so uncomfortable. And it was really affecting my mental health too, because I had gained so much weight. So I wasn't happy with myself and just with like the miscarriage emotions and everything like that. It was just so hard. And when you don't get your period, you semi get your hopes up in your head that you're pregnant. So I was obsessively taking pregnancy tests because I was like, Oh, I didn't get my period. Maybe I'm pregnant and I'm not pregnant. I just, I don't get my period. I don't even ovulate. So it was just, I just said to them, I want laparoscopic exploratory surgery. I, I swear I have endometriosis. I did so much research on it being linked to genetic abnormalities and how it really affects egg quality and everything like that. 
And so I said, this is what I want. So my OBGYN said, okay, well, I don't do laparoscopic surgery. One of my amazing colleagues does. I'll send you to her. And within three weeks, I was scheduled for surgery. Wow. So I just had surgery this past Thursday. Oh my gosh. And they found endometriosis in 10 places, stage four severity. Wow. 10 places. Yep. It was completely covering my right ovary already growing onto my left ovary. It was in the cul-de-sac, which is like, um, in between your like rectum and colon and your pelvic area. It was all over my bladder, all over my kidneys. It had actually completely blocked one ureter. So my urine was actually only going through one side of my ureter and wasn't even like peeing out of the other side. Basically. Isn't it crazy that they just like, there's no way to know if you have endo, unless you no way to know. I remember going under and looking at Michael and being like, just please let them find endometriosis. That's what I I hear often. What I was going to do. And then I remember waking up, looking at him and saying, did they find it? And him saying, oh yeah, they found it. They found it. All right. Yeah. It was in 10 different places. Um, she, we're waiting on the confirmation of stage four, but she said just by like the deep adhesions, the coloring and like where it was located. I was going to say, right. When it goes to your kidneys and stuff, like that's pretty, that's pretty much stage four. She said she hadn't seen this much endometriosis in a long time in in a woman. Did she ever get, well, I know it was a new physician, but did anybody ever give you credit for advocating for yourself? Like once they found she did actually, she did because she said, um, since she's really good friends with my doctor, I see the university of Maryland medical team in Maryland and they are fantastic. And I highly recommend them because they do let you advocate for yourself. But she did say, you know, I'm surprised I didn't see you way sooner for this because she was like, how are you not like in hurtling pain? And I said, well, it's become such a lifestyle for me now that I just, and she said this 100 and because it was so in my pelvic and my like right behind my cervix, she said this 100% has interfered with your egg quality. So she was like, unfortunately you would have had a bad egg. Like probably again. Yeah. Yeah. And okay, so wow. he removed it all. So I am three days post-surgery and ready to move on to the next step in this journey. But hopefully this relieves all of my symptoms. And, you know, we are in October will be one year since, um, actually it was, it's funny. My due date was July 11th and I got my surgery July 13th. So oh, wow. it was, and, um, Michael and I released a balloon and we wrote a note to our little baby boy and we sent it up in the sky and then I got endometriosis surgery and I said, I'm doing it all for him. So when he's ready to send me my little rainbow baby, I'm, my body is ready. I'm, I'm doing everything I can. Your story has been so touching to me. I, I'm not Thank even you. sure why. I feel like I relate to it <laughs> so, so much. Um, Thank you. I'm so hopeful for you. I'm going to send you a text after this. I have a friend that um, had the same surgery as you, stage four. Great. Um, she got pregnant very, very soon after. And she's actually, That's what they say, and they even put the dye through my fallopian tubes for like, extra. they're like, let's just flush it all out. Let's flush it out. And then her daughter is not even one and they're pregnant again. 
So oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So that's it so did. Amazing. I have heard it like wonderful success stories from situations like yours. I'm so uh, that's what I've heard too. So I'm I'm very excited. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so so hopeful for you guys. Well, this was amazing. I'm shocked. We've literally finished right at 59. Right on time. I saw that. I was like, oh my gosh, how perfect was that? <laughs> how perfect. Do you have any? I'm gonna tag like love the aura ring, love the natural cycle apps. I'll tag yes, absolutely stuff in the show notes. And then do you mind if I share your Instagram handle? Oh, absolutely. Yep. I'm actually going to probably start sharing more on that. Um, just cause I've found that being so open about my story has really helped me, um, just get closure and be in a better headspace and mental space. So absolutely. Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, Abby. I've really enjoyed talking to you and hearing your story.